Tobes. We're having some fun times here. Uh, as usual, this is your, your host, Cody and Jason. All right. Again, happy to be here. We're always happy to record these every week. Although this week we are both like extremely tired. We, we, we've had a rough week this past week, both of us. Yo. But that's okay. We're here to have fun. Absolutely. So first thing we need to do is, let's see here, is our announcements. So uh, I'll start with the updates on just NaNoWriMo real quick, since it yes. will actually officially kickstart off here in one, two, three, in about four days. So I've been in hardcore prep mode where, again, originally this week's topic was going to be discussing magic systems, which we have postponed to next week because we have our good friend, Alec, who's going to guest star as we can divulge and go into deeper into the magic systems. Yes. So this, so I've been watching Sanderson's like uh, his lecture talks on basically how to build a world. And so last night I was watching it just to prepare for today. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been, and as actually I'm going to quote Sanderson here for a sec is So, again, one of the concepts that we have a lot in the fantasy world idea is when it comes to world building, we've been told that we need to have kind of the iceberg effect. Where we show, like, like again, it's the whole iceberg diagram where the top of it is shown a little and then underneath is just like this whole massive thing. Yeah. <laughs> Los Anderson's example is just like what we actually do is this, and he draws at the very bottom a big giant hollow shape. So it's like it's a hollowed out iceberg. Because <laughs> we need to have enough for the readers to look down and go, eh, good enough. <laughs> like, yeah, looks like he's got a lot of work in there. And then we capitalize on just saying, yeah, we got like thousands and thousands of pages worth of just entire backstory that we have figured out. We just didn't want to, want to bore you with all of it. To which the readers will say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I have at least my hollowed out iceberg, so to speak. I feel like I got my magic system kind of figured out. I, ca- I got my story outlined done only thing i really have left to really prep is the culture that we're diving into which i started that last night which led me into like several different rabbit holes (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that's something we could talk about is just writing cultures oh dude we could we could spend an entire episode like we're going to do magic systems we're going to do cultures we're going to do languages although i think you would take the lead on the languages one because i suck at it (laughs) (laughs) i'm happy to do that I love languages. They're so but, much fun. But anyways, keep going. Oh, yeah, no. So I, I at least got... I If I were to describe my magic system, I would definitely describe it closer to the harder side of it. And I have technically two kind of magic systems in my world. Mm-hmm. And both of them, I'm going to say, are closer to the harder side of it. The second one, I would say, is more towards the middle. Okay. Say uh, to put it simply, basically, I have natural order magic and chaos magic. Okay. So, and again, I'll definitely dive in deeper once we, once I actually have more to write about on that. But last night, as I was walking Sora, I was just kind of thinking and like, okay, so a lot of my inspiration does come through, of course, like D and D, like the magic school ideas. Yeah. 
because you got conjuration, evocation, abjuration, you got all those. And I labeled those more under the natural order because those things could just be stuff that happens in nature itself, especially in the magic world in which I've created. Whereas chaos magic is going to be more labeled as closer to the softer core because that one is more just kind of the unknown, a little bit more mystical. But with it, going to some of Sanderson's like first law, as he states in his video, which we will definitely go more in depth next week about all of this. Yes. It's definitely kind of has its consequences. Like one, I will definitely just divulge because it's kind of a fun idea is like blood magic. Blood magic is definitely chaos, but reason why it is chaotic is because it's more is taking something from your body in a more destructive form. Okay. You're pulling from it. So the consequence in and of itself is it is going to physically drain you. And so like in my mind's eye, I was just like, okay, so those who are more proficient, proficient in blood magic generally have a shorter lifespan because of the consequences it will have on the physical body. Okay. Because you're quite literally pulling the essence of your own physical form and you're degrading it. It is more destructive. It's more, because again, I even have like a chart where it's just like, okay, chaos, magic, natural order, uh, good kind of versus evil, or I, I, I might just change it to constructive versus destructive kind of magic and this is like chaotic in the destructive realm okay because you're destroying your own body something that was already kind of created actually yeah it could be actually natural order as i'm thinking about it this is why i'm just like this is still like in the pre-stage here the prepping stage because i'm still trying to figure some of this out yeah and i'm not sure if that's going to be relevant in the story just yet it's just one of the it's part of the iceberg it's part of the deep part of the hollowed out iceberg <laughs> <laughs> But so that's kind of where I've been at for this past week for at least my story in the prepping stages of it. So there's kind of my update on that. Nice. As for other announcements, we still have our Patreon, our YouTube channel. Uh, we have our social media pages like uh, Twitter, uh, but mostly yeah, Twitter and Discord. Because actually I was thinking about it. Our Discord actually is open to just about everybody. We have just the higher tiers for those who are paid on the Patreon. Yep. So we'll hopefully see you guys in there. Yes, very much hope so. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to start doing is talking about um, some sort of news in the sci-fi fantasy world for this week, whether it's personal with our own stories or that's something, as was put, world-changing, something that from Sanderson releasing another five books or... Patrick Rothbus <laughs> finally finishing the Doors of Stone or something along those lines. I yeah. So is, do you have anything, Jason? Uh, there's two things. One of them I think you know about. One of them is actually Sanderson's uh, live stream that he's doing uh, this Sunday. Yes. Well, since this will be airing Monday, so it will be yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and again, uh, we're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that's what most of what his live stream is going to be, be eh, going to be about, is what he believes. Because Sanderson is also a Latter-day Saint writer. 
he is, and that's going to be really fun to see his take on things personally. I am, and he teaches at BYU at times. I am, and which is Brigham Young University. It's a church-sponsored school, private college. I am, and then I've heard some of his takes on things, and it's going to be really interesting to see his stance on just like on how he, I meshes the two i guess how he lives in both worlds mm-hmm. yeah which is where i'm i'm very curious because even as if you read some of the stuff you can see some of the symbolism from the church into his books and even just some of the manners in which because again um one thing that i learned and discovered it especially when we came back from my mission is that people can could actually tell in japan if they if we were members of the church or not, based on the way we spoke, because there is a certain, like there's a certain kind of vocabulary that we use in day-to-day life that Sanderson, I believe also uses and puts into his books as well. In fact, actually, as I was rewatching his, I was watching his lecture, he was talking, like he even used the word revelation. Sorry, that's not something that's used in like everyday conversation, but for Latter-day Saints, it absolutely is. That's true. I mean, it's not exclusive to our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, those are the book of Revelations and all that. Um, yeah. But we talk about Revelation a lot more. As we re- talk about personal Revelation, we talk about um, Revelation through the prophet of our church and through different members of the wards and things like that, where it is, like you said, it's an everyday topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. And so for someone, because even with devout Christians, uh, the term uh, just like personal revelation or daily revelation, that's not something that is always in their manner of speaking on the day to day. So there's just like little things that I've seen in some of the writing he's done, although like right now I can pull up an example, (laughs) but I just remember as I was reading through, I was like, oh, I see what's doing there. Cool. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. So. That's something I'm really excited for as well, though. That'll be a fun fun event to watch. Oh, yeah. Me too. I'm excited for it. As for the other one, we finally have gotten more information on Return to Moria. It is the Lord of the Rings survival game that's going to be coming out next year that I am personally excited about. I am too. That's going to be so much fun. And from everything I've been told, there's going to be a lot more customization options. It's going to be like uh, Valheim on steroids from what I've been reading and understanding for at least customization wise. Because when Valheim first came out, uh, it was very much like you kind of got your base avatar, add facial hair, no facial hair, change hairstyle. That was kind of about it. And then you went through and found armor. Whereas this one is more on, apparently they have representations from all seven of the Dwarven tribes. They have, again, it's just, it's definitely a lot more lore based. Where, Unlike Rings of Power, this is going to stay accurate to the lore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard so many good things and I'm so excited to be able to see and actually play this game. Me I, too. I am, yeah, we're both excited. Remind me, it is multiplayer, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, it is multiplayer. It has multiplayer and uh, single player modes. Okay. The, and from what I've understood with the multiplayer mode, it's going to make things easier. Whereas single player mode, you're going to have to be on your toes more because uh-huh. there's orcs, there's other monsters that are going to be inside Moria that you have to keep alert for and take care of. 
and even inside Moria, there's like rivers, there's networks where I'm going to be so excited to actually be able to go and explore Moria. Yeah, that's going to be so much fun. I wonder if there's going to be a Balrog. <laughs> I can see that being like one of the bosses. <laughs> I know. I hope so. It's like, here's the Balrog. Good luck. <laughs> Which at that point, I, I'll be running. I'll be running. I know, go, right? No! <laughs> I can totally picture them having that Balrog as like uh, what the forest is in Valheim. Uh, it <laughs> just like comes through. Yeah, it just comes through and just like wipes out everything and you have to restart. You're just like, no, my village. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the dumb troll. Oh, my gosh, the trolls. <laughs> this is going to be great. Oh, yeah. So definitely excited for that uh, real quick since I did mention Rings of Powers. So apparently they have removed the showrunners for season two. Really? Oh, yeah. Since there has gotten such negative feedback from the entire fantasy community, Amazon's like, they basically pulled the showrunners off because of what they have done to it. And so this is where they're trying to say, we're going to try to make it more canonical. Mm-hmm. And as recompense, we're removing these guys who messed it up. Huh. So in one respect, it's like we have been heard. Other respect. We'll see it when we see it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will watch season two. Oh, here's the thing. We'll watch it just because we already get Amazon Prime. <laughs> ah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll watch it. It's just going to be more. Is it going to be more of a bearable watch or is it going to be a dumpster fire like this season one was? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, season one did have its moments. There was some good and I didn't mm-hmm. as a whole. I did end up enjoying it, but I was still grateful for it to be over. <laughs> yes. Same here. And Again, one thing that kind of really linchpinned it, and we even discussed it on like why it didn't do so well, it was because, again, it, it's very much like Superman. Like, there's a reason why Superman films don't exactly do well, mm-hmm. is because, sorry, Superman's perfect. There's no problems. Yeah. It's because, especially when it comes to like Batman versus Superman or Justice League. Superman is such like a canon. He will go and solve the problem within an instance. Whereas Superman does great as a TV show because it's more because again, with a lot of TV shows, they have a smaller budget, so they can't do these crazy special effects fight scenes. Mm -hmm. So it's more dealing with the smaller problems. Like again, one of my favorite versions and actually Sanderson's version too. So when he mentioned it, I was like, yeah, is the nineties Superman show called Lois and Clark. Okay. Where it's definitely more of Superman trying to live the everyday life and just dealing with more day-to-day problems. It's very much more on he's having to learn to deal with stuff without using his powers. Oh, that's cool. So that's what made Lois and Clark very interesting is the fact that he has a superpower which he's not able to use. He has that limitation and that problem that he he could easily solve it with superpowers, but he's got to keep the secret identity. He doesn't want to harm Lois. He doesn't want to do this. And that's where those stories get interesting. Then over Rings of Power, we have freaking warrior boss Galadriel solving every single problem just by being there. I know, right? Well, why don't you think of it this way? Only I could think of it this way. Yeah, why not three rings instead of two? <laughs> uh. 
Whereas there needs to be actual conflict. There needs to be problems. There needs to be limitations. Yes. When you strip those out, it's a boring story. Yeah. It, it really is. So, going in that same vein. <laughs> <laughs> horrible segue. <laughs> Uh, so since tonight, our again, our original topic was coming up with uh, like discussing like magic systems. What we decided to instead was we're going to do kind of a improv. How would you make this story using a magic system or just general setting? Yeah. And this is where I'm going to come up with the setting. Cody is going to tell me how he would approach it. And then afterwards, like, I can say, okay, this was kind of the ideas I thought about and kind of interject. And then we're going to turn the tables and Cody's going to do the same thing to me. Yes. So excited for that side. (laughs) So mine, mine's going to be kind of interesting. Okay. How would you do like underwater and magic? Because we already have like the merfolk. We do have a lot we could pull on. But how exactly would a magic system in a world that is completely underwater work? Because in every respect, if you think about it, like nowadays, part of the magic is like, oh, we could fly. Well, if the entire world is underwater, technically everybody can swim. Everybody can fly. So what kind of conflicts, what kind of story, what kind of magic system could you think of? So to preface what I'm about to say, I'm taking physics right now. And the portion that we're in physics has to do with shock waves and sound waves and all things and that like pertaining to that. Ooh. Okay. I like where you're going with this. So <laughs> that is really where I would see the more aggressive side to the magic system would be. Would be utilizing sound. And it'd be utilizing in such a way that it becomes aggressive. It becomes dangerous. I am so. I mean, it could be smaller as well. And I mean, dolphins do this, but they use dolphins have ultrasound technology. Technology. They are able to do ultrasound. That's how they see things. And so it'd be using those things, and but it would be doing it through magic. And so, I would figure that using like. Basically, it's using magic interchangeably with technology. So the technology we have today, ultrasound, sonar, uh, radar, those type of things, Mm -hmm. a sonic boom, and wake, all that, but it's all using magic. And that's how I'd really look at things. And then they could even turn into things where you could heat, like, you can use the water, because water takes a long time to heat up, and it takes, it's one of the things that takes the longest to heat up and but using that you could i don't know that's kind of my thought process with it just right off the bat so with the magic definitely okay yeah i know i like your idea because um again this is where it's very interesting because you're going through physics class and you're talking to the guy who spent the past year learning solely about sound sound waves how that interacts Yes. And say so. Have they covered on what that you can do about uh, sound and polarities? Mm, I think. Start talking about it. I'll see if I remember this. Okay. So with sound waves, again, sound wave. It is what it is. It's it's an actual wave of sound that. That's what we use in like uh, DAWs, uh, digital audio workstations, to really see sound waves. We use it. That's how we are able to visually see sound. So, but just like 
in physics, there is always a negative to it. So you could actually flip the polarities on sound mm -hmm. to actually cancel each other out. Yes. This was demonstrated to me is, again, I went to school at the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences, or CRAS for short. Mm -hmm. uh, at CRAS, they got two big subwoofers. Yeah. They pointed them at each other, reversed the polarity in one of them, and had them both blare at each other. Not a single sound came out. But when you got next to it and you felt the speakers, you could feel the vibrations. That's pretty cool. It is really cool to see that. So imagine now, okay, so with this underwater world, they're using magic to do this. What if someone was able to reverse their own polarity to cancel out the other magic? Oh, yeah. That'd be that would dope. Be, that would be. <laughs> so one of the things that we did today, actually, I am. So he was showing us how sound affects the environment around us. Mm -hmm. And so he had a PVC pipe and I threw out all of it. There is holes drilled about every two inches and there were mm -hmm. small holes, just like a centimeter, if not half okay. a centimeter, like they're, they're small. And I, then he had a speaker on either side of it. And then there was a T I junction going down and that connected to a propane tank. So he turned on the propane and he lit the top all the way across of the pipe and so and then leveled it out so there was about two inches of fire. And then he plugged his phone into it and started resonating with it. And he did different frequencies and he showed and you could see the waves physically. Yeah. And it was one of the coolest things I've seen. And then he played music. Dope. And you literally see the fire dancing. And um, it's the Damn. coolest thing. I am like I was blown away by this, but that's also part of what I picture with this magic system is being able to use their voice and resonate to cause these sonic waves to go out that can knock people back, causing like damage to the like different rock and I am reefs and whatever is around and it's just water just conducting so well <laughs> with sound mm -hmm. and it distorts it and makes it different but they using the magic to do that would be i don't i just i just picture it with sound and that's really how i see water magic going through things yeah, no. I, again, I completely agree with you. I think that would be a great idea for a magic system, especially in a world. Because even if you look at uh, tectonics, play tectonics, by the time a tsunami occurs, it's because of a shifting. So you could even, when you break down even sound, it's more, it's vibrations. It's vibrating of frequencies. It is. And there's actually two different ways that it does it. I am. Mm -hmm. And when, so the first way is the faster of the two and essentially picture a spring and like a really long spring going across like an entire room because we had this demonstration and he, what he did is he pinched it and pulled it back and then let go and you just see where it's pinched together shift all the way down and back going back and forth and those are the fast waves that come through and that's the initial waves that you don't feel as much and then there comes the s waves i think are the more heavily 
Yeah, but it's because the rock shifted, and so it's a vibration up and down. And you just like flick the spring basically, and you see that go all the way down and back, and that's what's happening to the earth, like underneath you, and that's where you feel it shift and shake. Mm-hmm. So just kind of fun stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. So actually, real quick, little sound test for you: which frequencies are going to be the longest? The longest are the low frequencies. Yep, longest are low frequencies. High frequencies are very short and very loud high pitched it's very high pitched because again this is why like you can do the opera singer and then shattering glass is because the sound waves are so close together when you hit the higher frequencies that there is going to be a point where you just you with as again opera singer just speaking it's going to all just hit there at once which is why i was going to say which is why we can like at concerts we love hearing that bass. We love it just because it's just it's a good thump. Yeah. Whereas a higher frequency actually kind of hurts our ears. Yes. And so with the shattering the glass, it's because it's matched the same frequency and it's resonating with the glass. Yeah. And that's what causes it to shatter. Because if it was over, like it was more high pitched than that, it wouldn't shatter the glass. It has to be the mm-hmm. perfect pitch. Okay. All right. Okay, yeah, that that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the things that we talked about the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's just uh, so cool. And so actually then with that, ooh, with okay, so going back to the magic system is every human being, like again, everything has its own sound frequency, has a sound resonance. Yes. So using the sound magic system idea, they could put out a pulse or a sound wave to where it could resonate with someone it could do different effects like this is where you could do like a charm quote unquote spell yeah where it just makes them feel comfortable makes them feel soothed mm-hmm. or you can make them feel erratic you can irritate them so on a slightly darker side of it or you can uh, make them explode <laughs> yeah so this is actually very possible this is what happens mm-hmm. in space your so the pressure goes from the high pressure to low pressure okay. if i remember correctly it's one of the two either yeah it's high pressure to low pressure and so in space your body has pressure inside of it mm-hmm. and there's nothing outside of it and so all the pressure tries to get out which is why you explode like literally if you didn't have a protective suit and you just were out in space you would literally just explode Okay, okay. I've always wondered about that. Yeah, so that's why. It's because everything inside of you has pressure. I'm in water, everything's reduced. You have less, like you have more external pressure on you and less internal. Mm-hmm. And so using those sound waves, if you were pushing things and doing that with the water, you could either cause enough force which would be more difficult because at that point you're used to living in water. And so you develop the things to be able to survive in those pressures. But if you reduce the pressure drastically and essentially removed all water from around them. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. I have an idea. This will segue into the next part of this is going to be part of the culture. Yeah. What if they, what if for like an execution, they tie someone and then sent them. Up to the surface. Ooh. Quickly. 
Like that would be their like the way they would execute like a prisoner or a war criminal. Yeah, I I think that's actually a very humane way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> okay, so now delving into the culture or technology, what what do you envision? I'm. I don't picture anything like what you see with Atlantis for like the little mermaid or any of those type of things where it's like a city underwater, like what you would typically picture because it's human industry and such. Mm-hmm. I would picture it more natural. I'm using reefs and caves, more rudimentary. I am more, I am archaic. More land. Yeah, okay. so it's using the land. It'd be shaping the rocks into the homes. So kind of like what you picture with elves with trees, where they shape them into a house. They shape the rocks into homes. They shape uh, the reefs, and that's how they're, what their homes are. It's the places that you typically see these, uh, like the homes for fish and such, are now the homes for humans, but interacting together. And so the reefs are shaped to it. And then you can have another race that's a deep water race. One that is blind, like the fish are blind down there, and they rely completely on sonar to see things. They live in the volcanoes. They live in those, like the underwater volcanoes and the geysers and all those things down there. And that's much more of the dark castle type things formed out of the rocks. But it's formed inside of these, uh, essentially, volcanoes and such. Okay. So now, what about the general people? Like, what would their sh- like? What would they look like? Would they be bipedal? Would they be like mermaids? What do you kind of imagine about the people? Um, I think... So I'm kind of picturing I'm something like a sugar glider, but with people. So instead of just like webbed fingers or mermaid tail, picture webs going from the arms to the legs. That mm-hmm. they'd use those and on the, as like to swim and things like that. Um, and so for like the more surface ones, the ones that are in the reefs. I am so kind of like manatees, or not manatees, but I am rays and such. Okay, like stingrays. Yeah, so I guess stingrays. Okay. So they'd be more of that flatter I am shape to them. I am the core still being human, but with the fin, like the arms, the membranes and such connecting them would be more like the material and the name that a stingray has hmm, okay. and the same coloration that brownish grayish color okay that's right. what I, that's what i picked for those how about you uh for me i'm thinking uh this is where i i had my own version of it mm-hmm. uh think of like in how was it goblet of fire harry and going underwater the way his body is shaped yeah. at least the limbs that was more what i was thinking but definitely a little bit more Again, honestly, I would. I don't see the point in them having hair. Okay. Because again, when it comes to moving around, you want to be as aerodynamic as possible. So I don't see them like having hair of any sort. 
But if they were going to have like some type of hair, it would be like seaweed and would be more used as a camouflaging mechanism where they're able to go down and basically have just like their quote unquote head semi exposed. And it's the seaweed Mm -hmm. moving back and forth, feeling around and actually could or it could even be like tentacles that are able to reach out and feel around. And then once there is something, they can grab it, pull it down and eat it. Okay. Like that's more like what I'm thinking of just kind of the physical embodiment of it and the general mutation as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now for me, an interesting idea would be how would you do like clothes and armor and what kind of conflicts could you see in this? For clothing, um, mainly, honestly, I I would see main things like seaweed, um, seaweed or pelts. I um, hmm. for other of like the aquatic mammals, and using those, I um, because those things are still going to provide them the ability to swim without, like, they still the water. Uh, resistant everything that they normally would need to uh, be able to swim. I, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I could see them maybe developing like even a natural esque body armor. Yeah, something or like or they could use like seashells, like yeah, some kind of chitin seashell, or even just like they kill. What they could do is <laughs> you could even create like an underwater kind of monster, like <laughs> the Dunkleosteus. <sighs> and you could use the bone the bone structures as like plate mail okay i can see that so so that for conflicts for me i do see two major factions between like more than this but the two main ones would be more surface and the more uh deep dwellers i and the there being some sort of war between the two factions. I'm mm-hmm. um, more of a predator prey feel to it though, where okay. the deep dwellers are more of the predators. They're, they're able to locate things very easily using sonar and being able to grab them and then drag them to the depths that they can't handle. Um, doing things in that way. Okay. So, again, using kind of fantasy terminology, who would you say would be like the dwarves and who would you say would be like the elves? I was actually looking at it more of like high elves versus I'm. What are they called? What are the dark elves? Drow. Drow. Uh, yeah, or Shadarkai. Yeah. So, more of like okay. drow versus high elves. I'm. I could picture there being other species and such down there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking less along the lines of traditional uh, ones okay. and more, those are our own concepts, our own races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for me, I was trying to give that kind of ideology of like, okay, you have, in my mind, you have the pompous nobles, aka that's what I was like, elves and dwarves. And then you have your everyday man, your dwarves. Mm-hmm. So. Which one would you say is like the everyday person for, or who would you say is the nobility? Would it be higher up in the water being the nobility or would it be deeper down being the nobility? Um, I would, uh, I don't know. I feel like the 
upper portion would have both. I am, mm-hmm. um, but the depths would only be the no- more noble, like the more quote unquote like higher up type creatures, high and mighty. Uh, whereas the dwarves would be more of the surface, not surface, but the uh, shallows. Say hmm. actually, okay. So for me, this is again just an idea I came up with, just mm-hmm. using kind of your stuff. Is that okay? Yeah, you got your you got your two main faction, basically surface dwellers, and then you have your deep dwellers. Yes. Now, one of the other races I that came to mind for the deep dwellers were the ones because again, being down that deep, you have to have in your body over time would develop a way to resist all of this, like would be able to deal with the pressure. Mm-hmm. So I think what would be an interesting story is you have a boy that is from the depths who, yeah, your main character from the depths that is just like, I want to see the sun. I want to see the sunlight. And he's heard all these stories or all these stuff about how glorious it is to be up in the, higher levels how the light just shines down upon you they could even come up with like a religion based on it yeah and so it's about his journey going to the surface but i think would be an evil twist it's like okay now let's let's do the vice versa someone who's always on the surface once goes down to the deep or there's been great folklore on those who are noble only the noble and the worthy can go down into depths and so there's always been the stigma of just like okay we don't go to the depths because that's only where the nobles are. Nobody's really worthy enough to go down there. Then someone goes down there and they're extinct. Oh, plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Like, I think that would be an interesting little story there. That would be. <laughs> that's so much fun. <laughs> Cause now I'm coming up with all the concepts and stories in my mind and, Oh yeah, no. Again, this this is where it's fun. It's just like we're 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 doing the exact same thing. Just like, oh, that would be a fun idea. That would be a good story there. That would be a good story there. <laughs> like, like what stories were you coming up with? Like, what concepts you got? I am. So one of the main ones is that. So it's the religion based on what you're talking about for the deep dwellers, mm-hmm. and that those executions you're talking about, sending them to the surface, they're sending them to God. Oh, I like that. And it could be that one of them that they send them up, but they don't die. Instead of it being that they suddenly get up there, this person had already been trying to get up there and working their way up. And so they are able to have that oxygen bladder that they're able to decompress uh, and be able to handle the pressure. And then they see this entire new world and this whole new world of these different classes and these different uh, factions and such throughout the reefs and there's reef warfare between the two and he's just completely in shock and amazed that this whole time there is like what they always pictured was going to be god is actually just another world like theirs or oh i got another idea yeah what if went to the surface and discovered land. That would be cool. And then it that becomes a different t- kind of genetic mutation. They start beginning to evolve and be able to become, be able to go on land. Oh, That's it. Cool. Or, or the kid could, or this guy who's gone out on his journey randomly finds a human, like the one of the first humans on this entire world. 
yeah. This is where it's fun. We just yes. get to come up with stories. <laughs> okay. So I think we covered my underwater story very, yes. very well. <laughs> All right. You ready for mine? Yep. Let's go. So here's the backstory to it. Okay. I was in a D&D campaign where I'm, we had taken over this really decrepit base. i uh, it was a dungeon at one point that we took over and we were building that up. And just a part of one of the sessions, I was just trying to fix things around the place. And so I had this hammer and I was, he was like, all right, go ahead, roll to see how you do. And I hit a nat 20. He goes, roll to confirm that. It was another nat 20. <laughs> roll again. It was a third nat 20 in a row. The hammer became magical. So everything I would hit would automatically fix. Nice. <laughs> so from that, I had the idea, what if magic in this world came because you specialized in something so much that you gained such an understanding, you gained control over it. Hmm. So a farmer who spent their entire life studying and learning about plants is able to grow them so magically like so well because they infuse the ground with the magic. They infuse the plants with magic. A soldier masters his weapon so much and masters his everything with combat so well, he gains magical abilities of sixth sense, of knowing when there's danger, of being able to thrust through armor that you should not be able to, or some other things that supplementary to what they're doing. Okay. So that's kind of a general idea of it. Okay. So what would be like my idea or my twist on it? Yeah. Like what would be your take on all that? Honestly, what immediately comes to mind would be more like a symbiosis is that they have spent so much time with it that they develop a type of connection with it because so much of their blood, their sweat, their tears, maybe their own like DNA has melded with it to where it is not only just the magic, but it's an extension of them. And that extension allows them to do multiple things. But with all this, it would go in like stages. Like thinking of the farmer. Let's just say he had a, <laughs> let's just say he was proficient with a hoe. <laughs> uh, and he had this hoe and he, he is now over time able to easily basically plow field with just his hoe. And he, one of the other magics that he could do is just because he's done this so much is as soon as the hoe touches the ground, he can tell if the ground will be fertile, if it could not be. So he could go in and start pulling it around, pulling it around and getting all that knowledge. Now, once he begins getting into seeding, he begins to develop a stronger connection with the plants, the life that he is sowing into the ground that he's prepared to where now it's not just the tools he's proficient with. It is the land itself. He becomes so proficient with. And that's just going from a farmer. So what you could even do as maybe as a society, as the more someone actually understands the city, the workings, the networkings of all of it, and they develop a true connection of it, they're actually able to ship shape, yeah, shift and shape the city however they want. Like the king is the king of his city because he has total control 
or the over the physical body of it because it's so much of an extension of themselves. I like that. So then that could even lead to interesting castle battles yeah. to where what would happen if like he's just like I have so much I fill the city truly I know it brick by brick and as he expands more of himself into the city he's actually able to get the city up and walk it. <laughs> <laughs> so we could have Hell's Moving Castle or Babushka another Babushka yeah, exactly. exactly. Like they're able to actually move the city around. And then they could actually move and fight for territory that way. So then it becomes, at that point, is very much the stronger someone has a connection to the area, the more power and dominance they have. And that's what could cause a lot of the struggles between the kingdoms. Kingdoms, countries, whatever. And so the more someone knows the city, knows the ins and outs, knows the networking, has actually helped build, has actually helped shape it. And not just the physicality of it, but the people itself. So now coming across maybe something that's like a, oh, what is it? Like kind of like a lich. Mm-hmm. Because even here in America, we have ghost towns. Yes. So what happened if like a ghost or a necrotic kind of being took over this town, all the hauntings, and was able to raise it? Like literally raise it. <laughs> nice. So here's so, a thought. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Uh, so for me, I was just like, so all this just becomes more of a symbiosis of understanding uh, the entire surrounding. It's more of, again, what brought this to mind is like you said, the swordsman, he, he's able to, he practiced with this enough. He knows it. He knows the insides of and outs with it becomes an extension of him. Mm-hmm. For me, when I move to cities, I will know a city backwards, forwards and sideways and what side streets to go down. I know where th- one thing is where I know where another thing is and just more the it's basically like the king is going to be the guy who's it goes, hey, where's this at? And he's like, it's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So here's a thought for you. Okay. What? And this is kind of more along the lines of conflict and such. Okay. What of someone who specializes in persuasion? Hmm. They dedicate Ooh. everything to be able to convince people of things. That would be interesting. That would actually, that could be a very powerful skill because by the time, not only do, are they able to eloquently talk, because again, we, we've all had a D&D party where we have a crazy bard. Yes. Not only are they able to talk themselves out of any situation, they could convince and tell people. And especially with someone like Kavoth, who is a fast learner, mm-hmm. he could go to a king and just like, tell me everything about your city. I want to know everything. The king could quite literally go, you know what? I doubt you'll know all this right off the top of your head, but sure, I'll tell you everything. At that point, it's almost like he is transferring his power to this man who can speak anything, who's a who's a professional linguist. Yep. Think of Lelouch from Code Geass with no limitations. So as the power itself, yeah, exactly. That's what it would be, is he could literally take over the entire world. So... That could have been what, like, early on was one of the major conflicts. All right, so we got this mood talker. So there could have been something in the history that someone did do this. So it became almost outlaw to be at a certain level of persuasive. Or the study of persuasion itself was outlawed. Exactly, the study of the human condition itself. 
actually, this would almost create <laughs> a world of COVID-19 2020. <laughs> Everybody's got to telecommute. Everybody's got to talk through Zoom. Everybody can't leave their house. Until one kid who's basically like a street urchin sneaks out, begins to actually interact. And what starts off as he's trying to make friends grows into we have an entire group that we will defend each other till death. We're going to overthrow the government because this is wrong. We need to have the social interaction. We need to have this talk. We need to be able to converse. And so, and again, that could be what leads to the story of just like this big giant revolution where then they find out that the reason why is because it just took one man to go to each king and tell them to give me your power. So then this group of friends then delegates, they begin coming up with a system of laws, becomes a more advanced version of just, again, of America, (laughs) where, again, it's not one person has all the power. Instead, what they begin doing is they have each country have a delegate who is a master persuader. And what they do is they have persuasion matches. They try to persuade one another. And then that would be an interesting idea. So here's, uh, and along the lines of it, my thoughts of persuasion. So that person who became the master manipulator, he took over. Yeah. I. <laughs> so anyways, with I, the master manipulator, he's the one that took over everything. And that's why it's outlawed, is he doesn't want anyone to be able to oppose him. But mm-hmm. it's something that's not even talked about. It's not just outlawed. It's completely shut down. There's nothing that mentions it. There's no idea, concept of it. Um, but it's used all the time by the military and such. The commanders, when they give their rousing speeches, it's using this power to a small degree. But people don't understand that's what it is. And mm-hmm. it's using that until someone does, like you were talking about, someone finally does start figuring it out. And then in the end, they're the one that stands against the master manipulator the main bad guy and they can withstand him to everyone else they are forced to bow but he can stand against him exactly so what i'm thinking actually this is what happens in like in the overall story is that the master manipulator he went over he was able to seize control he was able to seize seize power and since he was able to do it, he thought to himself, what's stopping from someone else from being able to do this? So therefore, he made the law to outlaw anybody to be able to learn the art of persuasion and set up safeguards, set up placements. And those that actually know it, that would understand it, would be the generals. But again, as you said, they don't know they can do this. Yep. It's very much more on, it is more like those, he's, because the master manipulator, he could go, you know what? Being able to say, no, no, one absolutely cannot do this. That's going to tip my hand. This could actually get people to go, you know what? What if I began doing it secretly? I could then overthrow him. We need to have people in charge who actually know how to use this instead. So he has his generals not knowing about the power of persuasion. They know, they can do it a little bit. Yeah. And so the counter version of it is going to be a solidarity front. People who are masters of the art of friendship instead of persuasion there you go now, very interesting story <laughs> well, i played with that actually as a magic system for a while yeah no yeah. that that is that is an interesting magic system 
And I like because, it because... Go ahead. I was going to say, because it takes a lot of the mundane ideas and brings it to what if it was powerful. Because, again, we take the silver tongue uh, almost for granted a lot of times. Again, yeah. but the silver tongue is very strong, very powerful. Because, again, we look at Norse mythology and Loki. He is able to tear down Asgard. He's able to do a lot of destructive things, not just in Asgard, but in against the Frost Giants, against just about anybody. Mm-hmm. He's able to tear it down because of his silver tongue. And honestly, even when we go to Christianity with Lucifer, he is conniving and persuasive. Yeah. So actually, that would be interesting to have someone who is a master in the art of love and affection. Someone who is so selfless. And that could have been founding religion. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's actually, that is pretty much what I played with. It was the counter to it, where the BBG, uh, actually in my case, I was using it as more a minor villain. I uh, mm-hmm. that he basically is controlling a lot of like the shadow of the underworld. I am, um, and so he's the main one, and that's the power he uses. But I am um, the main character, as opposed to him. He wasn't the best at anything in his group. He wasn't the strongest swordsman. He wasn't the bravest. He wasn't any of those things. But he was always there to support his friends. He was always there to encourage them. And over time, he just developed the ability to enhance all of their abilities, essentially becoming a bard in that way. But Mm -hmm. it was just using that. And then one day when the shadow, like the guy who was in the, that he lived in the underworld, the one that ran it, he tried to convince them, which he usually did, to do what he wanted and then he says no and it breaks with all of his group his can't affect any of them because he is protecting them and then that's where that dies out so they don't kill them they just go separate ways at that point Uh, interesting so i like it this is where i think you really need to read mistborn now (laughs) i've yeah, I've, I've heard little things, but I came up with mine before I heard those things, for clarification. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, okay, if you like this idea, I think you're really going to like Mistborn then. Yeah. Because it has at least, that's where I felt like I was drawing some of my inspiration from, was from some of the elements of Mistborn. But, no, it's just like, but your overall idea, I like it. I like it a lot. But that's the story of Marcus and... Uh... I'll be getting there eventually. I'll share some of his stories in here. Sounds good. But actually, I think I think that is a good note for us to end on. I think so, too. Thank you all for listening in. We'll uh, put that book back on the shelf and pick it up another time. Yeah, because, again, I, I really did like this kind of improv idea. But, yeah, we'll definitely put a bookmark in for now. All right. So we'll catch you guys next time.